Hey guys, good morning. Um, I'm not Randy. Hi, Randy. Uh, my name is Jonathan Nash. I am uh, the pastor of our uh, Napier congregation. Really excited to get to come and bring the word to you this morning. Um, we are going to be like we have been in the book of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. And it's actually also the book that the prophecy that was part of the story that was just read, which is in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, is from. So we've got some interesting perspective things going on because we know that the story of Jesus isn't just something that happened in that one time when Jesus was on earth, kind of the typical Christmas story with the shepherds and the wise men. It was something that was prophesied thousands of years before that. So we're going to be spending time in one of those prophecies in the book of Isaiah that's looking toward the Christmas story. So brother, elder John Markham is going to come and read for us from the book of Isaiah chapter nine. Right. Um, All right. Yes, we'll be reading from um, Isaiah chapter nine, verses one through seven. This is the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun. In the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, John. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you. We honor you. We glorify you. We, we pray, Lord, that what we do today would magnify your great name. What I pray that Um, your light would be the powerful, effective, transformative, creative force that it is for us here and now today. We We actually believe, crazy enough to believe, that your word has the power to do that by your Holy Spirit, because you're not a God that we worship who's distant. You're not a God we worship who's dead. You are living, and you're active, and you're present with us. And if there's anything that Christmas proclaims, it is that. And so we pray that in the midst of uh, the reality that it rarely feels that way, um, we, we proclaim it's true, and we pray that it would become uh, effectual and active for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So perspective, uh, perspective is a funny thing. The word perspective, um, you know, we use it, you know, in common phrase kind of terminology, but it's, a, it's an art term, and it has to do with your line of sight. So if I'm standing looking at something, or you could even say almost like an architectural term, if I'm looking at a building or I'm looking at a painting, I can be looking at it from a particular position, and that's my perspective. And then I can move, and I can be looking at it from a different position. My place has changed. Perspective is all about where you are in relation to what you're looking at. Very interesting perspective in the book of Isaiah because it's a perspective of prophecy. So Isaiah was a prophet, which means he was um, a special 
uh, person ordained by God to not just see the future, it's kind of what we think of as a prophet, that they can like tell the future, but in many ways to see what God has shown him, which would include things that are true and things that haven't happened yet. So this is a prophecy about Jesus thousands of years before Jesus came. So Isaiah is looking at the truth of Jesus, which is the same truth that we are looking at, but from a different perspective. Isaiah's perspective uniquely here is a perspective of darkness. It's very important to to catch. You get it really if you read chapter eight. Chapter eight is all about the darkness, the, the gloom that was the reality for the people of Israel at this time. If you were reading this, or if you were listening to this as Isaiah was speaking it, you would have understood that you too were in a place of darkness. They were hearing this from a place of darkness. I can't overemphasize that. The nation of Israel was beset on all sides by enemies. They're, 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 um, you know, so many things about their country and nation, governmentally, politically, socially, were, were crumbling. And Isaiah is reminding them and letting them know it's going to get worse and there's light that's coming. I got to be in New York City uh, most of this past week. Um, we have, uh, there's two other people that are with me on our Napier team. DeCarlos Robinson um, has been with us, you know, for a year and a half now, but we've hired someone new, a woman named Nicole Vaughn. Some of you've got to meet her. I hope all of you get to meet her. She's our executive director, but she used to live in New York City and has been bugging DeCarlos and I, come on, let me please take you to New York City. Like the work that we're doing, you would benefit so much from the perspective of the folks that are doing it in the South Bronx. So that was where she uh, was. This is not your Times Square, New York City. So you can just delete everything you've been thinking as soon as this is New York City. Um, but it is the real New York City, I would say. Um, we got to spend three days just marching. She was, you know, had us going, marching all over the South Bronx, North Bronx, Harlem, a couple other areas. We barely even made it to Manhattan, and it was amazing. We got a great perspective from a different angle on the same ministry, the same church planting work, youth work, community development work that we're doing in South Nashville, in Napier. But what was maybe most interesting in this different perspective is the things I saw that were exactly the same. I saw the same darkness. And I mean that. It was like, oh, wow, it's exactly the same here in New York City. It's exactly the same here in the South Bronx as it is in Napier. It's also exactly the same here in Green Hills as it is in Napier, as it is in the South Bronx. It's very true that as human beings, no matter how different we think we are, how different our cultures are, how different our expressions of being human are, our human experience and our human reality is all the same. And it is a perspective. It is a a place of darkness. That's just true. It's what it means to be human. Sometimes I think it's never felt more than around the holidays. Am I right? It's just the holidays, we know it, we say this every year, they have a way of kicking up all the junk, of kind of pulling the, the, the rug back a little bit because you're around people you're not always around. You're, you're dealing with like the glow and the glitter and the shine and how it doesn't necessarily reflect the same glow and glitter and shine in you or in your circumstances, Right? So that's where we start this morning. We start from a perspective of darkness. And let's talk about darkness for a second. Darkness isn't just darkness. It's described here as darkness. The way the Bible flushes out what darkness really is, is sin. 
So we got to talk about that. I think we have a very anemic, a very narrow, a very small view of what sin is because a lot of us like to think the Christian life is like, you know, working for a mid-sized company and I just got to be a good employee in my mid-sized company and I follow the employee handbook and I hope the shift manager doesn't write me up for making an infraction. We can literally commercialize or, or I don't know, corporatize this understanding of what it means to be a Christian and we really begin to think that living as a Christian is just living in uh, following a certain set of rules and behaviors. And so in that frame, sin just becomes not following the employee handbook, right? Uh, not following the rule. Now, it is very true that the Bible speaks of sin as doing bad things. That is an element of sin, but it's kind of like saying cancer is just the tumor. It's, it's just like, like the, the tumor is the cancer. Well, no, the cancer is deeper than that. The cancer is the disease beneath that expression or that symptom of a tumor. Sin is a corruption. Sin is a disease. Sin is, is something that's supposed to be beautiful and working and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and slick and, and, and you know, functioning correctly, and it's broken. Sin is not, uh, it, it's anything that God created the world to be that is not as he intended. It's this corruption, it's this sickness, it's this disease. It is wrong and bad things we do as a symptom of that, but it's also wrong and bad things that have been done to us. It's also the, the, the almost including the physical elements of my life that are not as they should be. Right? The Bible speaks in Genesis that nature has been affected by sin. That the reason things die is because of sin. The reason that a tree grows and then gets some weird looking disease and its branches start falling apart and it falls over is because of sin. You see how this kind of, it begins to like kind of tip on its head. Our idea of what sin is, is just like doing bad things, which it is. But it's so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that. And so the Bible in this passage talks about it as this corruption of darkness. Listen uh, at the end of chapter eight, right before what we read in chapter nine. Isaiah says, if anyone doesn't speak, this is verse 20. If anyone does not speak according to this word of truth, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. Think about any time you've been distressed and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and they will look upward and will curse their king and their God. And then they will look downward toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So imagine anything about your life right now that isn't as it should be. Imagine anything in your life right now that's broken, anything in your life right now that's painful, anything that gives you fear, anything that gives you anxiety, anything that gives you hopelessness as you look toward the next few weeks or next year, or anything that gives you shame as you look back on this past year, that is the darkness of sin. Here's the thing about darkness, though. It isn't anything. Darkness is not a thing. It's only the absence of something. Light. Darkness is not creative. 
Darkness can't do anything because it isn't anything. All it does is cover and obscure what's there and what's true and what is real. But light, oh man, light is a thing. It is a power. It is a, it is a creative and active force. Let me just talk scientifically for a second. You with me? God made light. We believe that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says God spoke and there was light. He created it. What is light scientifically? Light is this, this force. It's a physical thing. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. So don't ask me to explain it more than that, but it's a thing. I think it has waves or particles or something. But listen to what it does, y'all. Light is taken in by plants. Plants use energy, the, the, this physical power from light, and they turn it into sugar. I promise, glucose sugar, C6H12O6 is the chemical composition of glucose sugar. They turn light into sugar and people and animals eat sugar. We eat sugar in plants, we eat sugar in grains, we eat sugar as it comes in meat that ate sugar. And what do we do with that? We move, we breathe. I dance because of light. I move because of light. I play sports. I walk 21,000 steps on Tuesday in the South Bronx because I had energy from light. Now that's a thing. It's all from light. Darkness can't do that. Darkness isn't that. It's not creative. It's only the absence of light. So when you've got light in a room, you can't bring darkness in you have to remove the light. But if you've got darkness, you can bring light in. You just have to light a candle. Jesus came and in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am that light. I'm the only light that will shine in the darkness and make the darkness go away. I am it. And if you don't believe me, then in another part in John, people come to Jesus and they say, how do we know that you are who you say you are? Come on, man, you're talking a big game. How do we know that you are who you say you are? And what does Jesus say? Are the blind receiving their sight? Are blind people beginning to see? Yes. Are the lame walking? Are broken people beginning to stand up and walk? Yes. Are those, are those with diseases being healed and cleansed and whole again? Yes. Are the dead being brought back to life? Yes. Why do you think Jesus did all those spectacular things? Because he wanted people to see that this light, who he was, was creative and powerful and healing and transformative. Do you see the creative power, the healing and restoring force that Jesus is as the light? Isaiah said it in Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What we have to know about this light, unlike the scientific, you know, physical thing that comes from the sun, the light of Jesus is relational. It's not a physical, impersonal force which is light, it's impersonal. Can't have a relationship with the light of the sun, but the light of Jesus, I have a relationship with. 
He said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I come and I bring a lamp and I shine it everywhere so you can see. He goes, I myself am the light of the world. And then he says, if you walk with me, if you follow me, in other words, if you have a relationship with me where you're watching me and you care what I do because you want to do it too, then you will never walk in darkness. So this light is relational. It's a personal and relational force. So if all that's true, and I hope you agree with me that according to what we just read and according to scripture, everything I just said is true. What does that mean for you? How does that change? How does that transform? How does that become the creative, transformative, healing, impactful force in your life? Two things, joy and war. Number one, uh, joy. Light is joy. Just, just go with me on that. Just say, believe me on that. Light is joy. When you think of light, I want you to think of joy. And so if Jesus is light, then that means Jesus is joy. If having Jesus is having light, then that means having Jesus is having joy. There is a thing called joy that you get when you have the light of Jesus. In this series, we've been looking at the different candles of Advent and how they represent different things. And, and the third candle, the one that was lit this morning, is the candle of joy. We had hope, we had peace, and we have joy. The problem is that our understanding of joy is synonymous with happiness. We have this other word, and we get them confused. We typically think of them as the same thing. And so we know Christmas is a time of joy, which means Christmas is a time I should be happy. And then we're not happy, and we're like... What's going on? Why is this terrible? Why, why am I not looking forward to this season? Why do I feel tired? Why do I feel numb? Why are my expectations constantly falling short? Happiness is an emotion, and I'm not downing it because it's real, but joy is more than just a feeling of being up. I didn't feel up this morning. I was exhausted from this past week. My eyes opened, and literally my first feeling was, oh, I overslept. I knew it was going to be a drag to get here. I knew my sermon wasn't where I thought it should be because I had been writing it on subways in the South Bronx. Almost nothing about where I was in that moment made me feel happy. So was I a sinful, joyless Christian? No. My happiness was down. Because happiness is subject to all kinds of things. It's physiological. It, 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 can be, it can change with my hormones. It can change with what I ate the night before. It can change with just the stuff that's going on. But joy is a fruit of the spirit. Joy comes from light. Joy is light, like we said. Joy comes from a relationship with the light. Listen to how verse three describes joy. So it says, the, the, the light has come, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then verse three, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when defi dividing the plunder. There's three images to describe joy there. The first is this idea of increase and growth. It's specifically talking about the population of Israel growing, which for them was the source of abundance and power. 
as the nation grew in numbers, as new children were born and the, the you know, houses were filled and land was cultivated, that was the growth and increase of the nation of Israel. So it's picturing joy as fullness in that regard. Same thing for the next image, the harvest. What is the harvest time? It's a time of bringing in the fruit of all your work, of, of finally getting to capitalize on all your labor and watching it fill your storehouses, fill your pantries, fill your refrigerators, so you know you're full. And then the last one is this weird one for us because we never think of warfare imagery in positive terms today, but for them, this idea of you're fighting the enemy and you're winning. Warriors are rejoicing because they're dividing the plunder of the bad guys. We've won, we're safe, and we've even taken some treasure for our trouble. So all three of these images of joy are pictures of fullness. Well, you lay that over who Jesus says he is and what Jesus promises is ours when we have him. A relationship with him is fullness, fullness of joy like a harvest, like, like hard-fought battles being won. So Jesus' light is Jesus' joy. And Jesus' joy is our joy. So we can have joy. And we can have joy even if we're unhappy. But that leaves us somewhere else. And this is hard, because this is war. Jesus' joy was a joy that he overcame with war and that he gained with war. Because in the passage where Jesus himself tells us what his joy is, it's in the context of him telling the disciples that he is gonna go and die. Paul says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Which means to attain the joy that he wanted to fight for, the fullness he wanted to win, the harvest he was gonna bring in, he knew that he was gonna lay his life down to get that joy. So his joy came through suffering. So if we have his joy, it means it's a joy of suffering. First good news though, the fact that he overcame sin to win joy means that you don't have to, which means that you are not gonna have to fight the battle that he fought which means the battle that you think you're fighting, which is to be good enough, that is not the war we're talking about. You don't have to win that. He already did it. So just being good enough to receive the joy of Christmas for the next few weeks is not what we're talking about. That's not the war. That one was fought and finished and won and you get the spoils of war for that. But there is another kind of war we have to fight. There's another kind of suffering we have to go through and that is the war against the darkness. It's not to win salvation. It's not to win eternity with Jesus because you've got that already. It's a gift. But you do have to keep in step with him. He calls you now on a journey until he comes back or until you die. You are on a journey of war to win joy. So there's a sense in which you've got the joy and there's a sense in which your joy is not gonna be complete until you begin to step into suffering, which means you're not gonna be able to drink your way through the next few weeks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm, it's funny. I'm serious, guys. Okay? I drink. I don't believe it's wrong to drink alcohol. And I also know that there is a temptation for me to really enjoy having a couple extra, a few extra drinks because I know it's going to make me feel a certain way, which will be a cheap and lousy substitute for joy. But I do it anyway. 
I'm tempted to do it anyway, at least. I've done it before and I know what it feels like and it always comes up empty. So whether it's drinking for you, whether it's some kind of like happy facade and a way you treat your family or the way you treat people that's really just hiding and not stepping into hard conversations, not addressing things, not loving people in hard ways. Maybe it's uh, checking out and, and, and living in memory of what's been done to you or what you've done. There's all kinds of ways we, we kind of give ourselves a spiritual lobotomy. Let me just turn it off. Let me just turn off the suffering. Let me turn off the fact that I'm in darkness. We numb it with substances. We numb it with a certain way of thinking or a certain pattern of behavior. And all of those are ways to say, Jesus, I'm not going to suffer with you. Which just is another way of saying, I'm not going to take your joy. I won't take the gift of your deep, solid, consistent, unfluctuating joy. Think of happiness kind of like a buoy, right? A buoy is, is this thing that sits on top of the water and it moves as the water moves. So if the storm's coming, it's up and down. If it's a low point, it's low. If it's a high point, it's high. It's just what it does. It's not good or bad. It's happiness. Joy is the, the bedrock on the bottom of the lake or the ocean that that buoy is anchored to. It doesn't move. It keeps that happiness in place and it allows it to go up and down, but it's anchored in something deeper, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which comes from the life of Jesus and what he accomplished for you. So if you have Jesus, if you have his light, you have his joy, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the gift, and you can now go to war on the darkness. It's why scripture proclaims that we are a city on a hill we're a light shining out in the darkness. We're a candle that you're not supposed to snuff out, right? We now have the weapons of light and they are just as powerful as they are for Jesus because it's his light. They're not half powered. They're not quarter powered. They're not, they don't, the power of the light of Jesus in you doesn't fluctuate based on how you're doing, how you're feeling, how you're sinning or not sinning. It's powerful because it's his but I do think you can ignore it. I do think you can numb it. I, I, I think there's ways to kind of put it down for a little while. And it will be possible to go through the next few weeks and not experience joy, even if you have Jesus. And I'm, I'm yearning with you and pleading with me that we take up the light weapons that we have and we go to war on the darkness over the next few weeks and entering into the new year and in the year after that. Because guys, there's a lot of work to do in the city. Randy, Gary, the team at Granny White have things they want to do in the city. They, they need you on board with because they're not the only ones fighting. It's us together as a community. So my question for you as you leave, do you know the creative and healing and transformative power that you carry with you? Because the light of the world is yours. The child was given to us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you uh, for your sacrifice for us. Thank you that from the very beginning when our first parents brought in the darkness through their sin, allowed the darkness into their own hearts and allowed the darkness into this whole world and we continue to be complicit in that. We continue to perpetuate that and yet you made a way <laughs> You, you knew that the darkness was going to be there and that your light would be all the brighter for it. 
And so you gave Isaiah and you gave your people in the Old Testament ways to connect with you. And you've given us a whole new way, the person of Jesus that we now know by name, who came for us, who came as a baby to live this life and experience the darkness in in exactly the same ways that we do. And now he's given us his spirit so he can live in us and we can have his joy, this, this, this light shining in the darkness inside of us. So Lord, I thank you that from the outside in, when people see us, they see the light of Jesus. Praise God for that. May it grow and shine ever brighter. No matter how much from the inside out, it might feel like darkness. So be with us, Lord, as uh, we go on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.